Hi, welcome to another episode of I Own a Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and I have with me here today, Dr. Mike Neal. Dr. Neal is a practicing optometrist alongside his wife, Dr. Amy Neal. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, together, they founded Lakeside Vision in Howley, Pennsylvania. i not sure if I pronounced that right, but I'll let Mike correct me in a minute if I didn't. Uh, Dr. Neal is also the chief executive officer at Build My Team, having founded the company as a result of his own practices hiring struggles, something many practices can probably relate to. So, hey, Mike, what's up? How are you doing today? Uh, happy to be here, and uh, thanks for having me. Mike, on the topic of hiring struggles, a lot of the complaints I hear sound like this. I can't find people to work. The ones I hire are no good. People don't stay. They leave for more money. So does that sound like something you've heard? <laughs> uh, once or twice. <laughs> you betcha. Um, yeah, it's a good thing this podcast is 12 hours long because it'll take me that long to address each of those four points. But 12, okay, um, we'll break this into apparently we're <laughs> 24 segments we'll be recording. <laughs> Yeah, I hear this all the time. And um, I, I think in a lot of ways, that description is accurate, unfortunately. Uh, but it's also a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, you know, the the folks, we can't find people who uh, to work, um, agreed. You're, I would say you're looking in the wrong uh, stack of people. You know, you're looking in the wrong group of people uh, when, when folks say that. Um, the ones that I hire are no good. Yep. Agree with you there. Been there, done that. I have every t-shirt that's available to have as an, as a practice owner for the been there, done that and got the t-shirt side of things. Uh, the ones that are no good, we have to look at how you're hiring. It's a process issue. Um, I don't think it's a you issue so much as a process issue. And then when they don't stay, they leave for more money, et cetera. Um, those, we got to take a look at why that's happening. And uh, usually the reasons why are, are pretty uh, similar across the board. So, so yes, I agree with most docs when they say that. The great news is that it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, and I, I think that's where we'll go with this conversation. What can we do to change that? Don't necessarily have to just accept that. And staffing was never easy, but no. it seems like COVID just made the world completely crazy and things seem to escalate for whatever reasons. That's probably a whole another podcast in itself, but things became even more challenging. It seems like after COVID over the last few years, um, can you elaborate on how changing the way you hire has benefited your practice? Well, so the way this works in our practice is that I don't have anything to do with it at this point. Uh, neither does anybody in our practice other than our practice manager, uh, build my team does all the hiring for the, the practice. Now, this is a little bit of an odd way to describe it because I wear two hats, own the practice and also I'm the CEO of Build My Team. But where this came from is I created the, the hiring process that we use now for Build My Team by modeling it after Disney, the Four Seasons, and how some of these massive organizations do their hiring. Um, the way we do it now, well, uh, let me back up. The way we used to do it is the same as everyone else. Post a job, get a couple of applicants, Nobody lights your hair on fire out of those applicants. You bring them in for an interview. You sit there, you question your life choices as to how the heck you're going <laughs> to you're gonna pick one of these people. Um, and then you end up picking the, the one that 
you just pick based on very little other than uh, gut or best guess. So the way that those companies do their hiring four seasons at Disney is they remove the, the emotional component of it. Um, and they do so in an absolutely dramatic way. They use assessments to figure out who is the best uh, candidate for these positions. And when I say maybe best isn't the right word, who could do the job for sure. Um, they look at their natural talents and strengths and they pick people uh, in, they select people into kind of like the finalist candidate pool, if you will. Um, and they bring those finalists in for interviews. So by the time they're sitting across a table or a desk from somebody, they know that they can do the job. And they also know that um, uh, the person in front of them um, is a, an A player uh, or else they wouldn't have gotten that far. So what we did with Build My Team is we created a, a text, literally a text-based uh, process where a candidate will apply for a job. Within five seconds, they get um, a text to their phone and they walk through an assessment process that we created, which again was modeled after how those companies did it. By the end of that process, it only takes a couple of minutes, we will, believe it or not, know more about them than most of them know about themselves in terms of their strengths and weaknesses. That's how effective it is. And so when uh, a person applies for job A, it, well, in our practice, we have the exact statistics on this, about half of them who apply for a job don't end up getting that job, they get another one but within our practice. So they apply for a role A, let's say as a technician, and we find out what the strengths and talents are, and they're a better match for, let's say, an optician, front desk, whatever it might be within the practice. So once they get to the finalist candidate pool, we also use a video interview. It's a one-way video interview, which sounds really odd, but they answer a bunch of questions without any emotional feedback from a doctor or otherwise. They can't play us. That's the whole point. They can't manipulate um, our process by uh, trying to, you know, the sob stories, the this and that and the rest of it. And the reason it's so critical to do that, you know, HR, we all think about people in terms of, you know, it should be a people person type approach. Well, the fact of the matter is that professional HR folks um, don't look at this as an empathetic process. They remove the emotion. They're, the approach is to find the A players, to uh, not be manipulated through the process and uh, to to staff your practice with folks who are performers, essentially. And that's what we've been able to do by removing the emotion from the process and essentially not looking for the needle in the haystack, but the way we do it is we remove all the rest of the needles and what's left are the, the super uh, performers in the practice. So it's a completely upside down approach to hiring. Years ago, we got to do a behind the scenes tour at Disney. I don't know if you've ever got to do this or heard about it. It's called, I think it's called Behind the Magic Curtain. And oh, wow. they, they basically lift the curtain on Disney and it's a tour, but they show you how the business of Disney actually runs. That's fascinating. It was yeah. fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. One of the questions I asked during the tour, because obviously Disney is known for certain things and yeah. you're typically not going to find somebody who works at Disney, what they call their cast member, somebody who's grumpy, unless it's actually the character that's that's right. supposed to. Yeah. Um, and I, if they were, they probably wouldn't be there that long. So I asked a very simple question of the tour guide. I said, how do you, you know, ensure that you have I think Disney hires more people than anywhere in the world or something like that. Yeah. I said, how do you ensure people are going to be happy? And she said, we hire happy people. And it was the process that they put people through yeah. to identify their strengths. 
And it's real interesting that part you mentioned about getting played, because I think of a lot of employers get played a lot. First interviews, it's like a first date, right? You show yeah. up, you're wearing your best clothes, you got you, you yeah. smell good, you're acting a certain way, you're trying to impress the other person and say the right things, but then you realize four, six weeks in, if not sooner, that's not the person I hired. So right. the, you're talking about a process that actually takes that out. It removes that flaw from the system, it sounds like. Well, I'll tell you what. You think in terms of what makes a great doctor. Somebody wants to help people. Somebody who's empathetic. Somebody goes the extra mile. Now, why on earth would you want that type of person interviewing people? But like, this is a mindset shift. Mm -hmm. What else are you going to do? That's what a lot of your listeners are saying. Mm -hmm. you know, who else is going to do it? Well, there's a new option for that. And the emotion has to be removed or else you'll be um, you'll be manipulated within interviews. This happens all the time. This is the status quo. The person sitting across from you is desperate for a job. They have a lot of times a family to feed, kids that like they don't know when their savings, if they even have it, are going to run out. You know, they want a stable paycheck, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to tell you anything you need to hear to get that job. And, you know, on the hiring side, a lot of times we think, well, you know, nobody's going to do that. Or, you know, you're not thinking in terms of they're going to work for you for a couple of months until they can find something better. You're not thinking in terms of, well, hey, I'm really excited today that my practice is a stepping stone for you. <laughs> you know, but that's essentially the the issue um, that we all face when we're interviewing. So flipping this around, the psychometric assessment process exists. It's in it can be incredibly accurate, not all the time, but can be. And the way we've done it um, outputs uh, incredibly reliable results. So we are, as I mentioned, we're rejecting approximately 97% of people depending on the, uh, the type of position. And when I say rejecting, our software for Build My Team, will the, the actual output is a thumbs up or a thumbs down. That's the actual output of the, uh, uh, the software. And so if if we get a thumbs up, those people move to the next step, which is the, the video interview. And when that's all said and done, the finalists are sent over to the practice. So, and I forgot to mention, that also includes writing a job description and publishing it out to 22 different job boards. So to address your first point, the way we get um, the number of candidates we do is to write a terrific job description and then send that out to, um, uh, to 22 different job boards. Getting the, the type of people who want to work is done through the psychometric side of things. Getting them to stay is a result of matching their strengths and talents, which they naturally have, to the position that they're asked to do so that they're not a round peg in the proverbial square hole for eight hours a day, day after day. And then on the money side of things, we generally don't bring in people with experience. Now, this is a big a bit of a shock to a lot of listeners. Why wouldn't you want somebody with experience? Well, because I will categorically tell you it's a lot more work. Well, that's a little bit odd. Now we got to untrain somebody. You have to undo something that they've been doing for a long time, and it doesn't work well with people. Um, it sounds like a great idea, but the real solution is to take a terrific, um, talented, person with natural strengths and talents who's smart, and we do measure that, put them into a role, they learn super quickly, and now you don't have to have the bad habits at all. This is a person you can basically mold to the position that you want. And that's something we're able to do uh, reliably uh, in eight different healthcare professions um, in about 40 states of the country.
It, it's interesting. The How would you respond to the office that says we don't have time to train? So you're talking about taking somebody who yeah. doesn't have experience and they're both challenging in their own way, right? One, I, I think sure. we look at the person with experience and you make a great point. We've, we've got to untrain the way they were taught to do things before, maybe untrain bad habits. Um, so that's a challenge in itself, but also bring out somebody with no experience might not be quite as challenging for that front desk receptionist person, but the optician or a, yeah, maybe a technician, but to the office that says we don't have a lot of staff to begin with, and we don't have a lot of time to train. How would you respond to that? Well, I think the thing is, I understand that having like somebody will leave your, your practice and you, you know, two weeks notice, that's almost a joke at this point. Virtually nobody does it. So if you get two weeks notice, congrats, uh, that, you're lucky. Um, occasionally you get more than that, but most of the time you're going to get bupkis, you know, somebody will even walk out the door on you that day. So I understand that the, the training side of things versus experience, um, you will get somebody who doesn't have experience usually much faster. You will not have long-term problems like you do with experienced people. You're going to have a transition time one way or the other. And what we've seen in practices around the country is a very short period of being uncomfortable is much, much easier to swallow than a long period of being um, uncomfortable over and over and over again. So which do you choose? And that's up to the practice. But almost all practices that we see that are high performers will bring somebody in, focus on training them. And keep in mind, we're not talking about long training periods, usually a couple of weeks, if that, depending on the position, because of how fast those people learn. Do you have a, you know, and I, I found on that point, a lot of times offices will say they're struggling with the time to train is because their time is so monopolized on the back end from not training yeah. on the front end. You're putting exactly. out all kinds of fires, fixing mistakes from the things you didn't do on the front front end. Do you have a system? Disney has a system. Uh, a lot of, fran you know, I, I like to use this analogy in franchises because even though most independent yeah. businesses, independent optometry practices don't necessarily aspire to the franchise model, good franchises work this really well. They have systems and they have systems mm -hmm. of training. So if you go into work at a XYZ franchise, there's going to be a mm -hmm. week one, week two, they've got some right. kind of a framework. Do you have something like that in your office? Because you mentioned being able to get somebody up to speed in a couple weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I read somewhere a long time ago that um, we have in an average McDonald's, I think a McDonald's is run by six feet of binders or something like that. I mean, let's face it, those are the old days of the binders. But um, that's an absolutely ridiculous concept that you can run an entire McDonald's from binders and thought, well, okay, well, I care. It's got to be more complex than McDonald's. Maybe it is, maybe it doesn't. We started with writing the manuals and we had the team members on the downtime and there's always downtime in eye care, write the manual. Um, it wasn't any skin off my back. I didn't have to write it, had them do it and continuously get it better and better and better. And now the manual is specific to each different uh, position in the practice. So techs have one, scribes have one, front desk has one, optical, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They all have one. And they're expected to maintain that. And we check to make sure those are being maintained. Um, they're kind of living documents. Mm -hmm. So when somebody leaves, and by the way, it's not if somebody's going to leave. This is how it works nowadays, especially post-COVID. Um, when somebody leaves, 
the manual is transferred to the new person. And since they're smart, because of course we measure, they can sit down and read this thing and they're not starting from scratch. So I would say that a practice that doesn't have time to train, I'll bet you that they're also finding themselves not having time to write the manuals. Yeah. I and think then every... go ahead. Onboarding problems. Then when you have, when you throw somebody, uh, especially an A player into a completely disorganized mess, guess what happens? They're out of there mm -hmm. because they know that a position exists for them some, at some other practice or company that um, is organized that they will excel in. So we have to take a look inside if we're in that, in that position. So Mike, we alluded to a lot of the changes in the staffing industry over the years. And how, how does your company build my team make a difference in this new environment? Well, oh, boy, that's an interesting question. Um, it, it's I think of it in terms of an outsourced concierge hiring uh, team. So the way our customers love to work with us is somebody, they need a position filled. They pick up the phone, email, I need a secretary, I need a medical assistant. And, you know, if you've been working with us for a while, we have all kinds of notes and stuff about your practice that uh, exactly what you're looking for, for each of these positions. So we just take it and run with it. Our team will write the job description. They'll publish it out to 22 different job boards, get all these applicants, and they run through our automated system uh, to find the, the A players, you know, the superstars. Um, we run them through the video interview and the finalists get sent over to your practice. So you can hire a person through build my team with less than an hour's worth of work. It happens all the time. Um, you know, some folks spend more time, that's up to them, but you can do it from soup to nuts with less than an hour. And it all starts with a consultation call, uh, with the practice. And so the purpose of that is to find out more about your practice, streamline who exactly you're looking to hire and, uh, have our team take it from there. So it's quite affordable, much cheaper than it costs to do it yourself. And the main reason being is that we've done the heavy lifting with automating the process. Um, it's, I can't even imagine as a doc having to go through the process of hiring again without having all of this information accessible to me. Um, you know, one of the goofy examples I like to use, imagine you walk into the exam room and you look at a patient who's there for their annual exam and you ask him, Hey, uh, Susie, what's your prescription? And they sit back and they tell you and you're like, okay, great. I'm going to prescribe that for you today. And, uh, you know, off you go. None of us would ever think of doing something like that. Right. Uh, we use the fropter instead we, uh, measure, we quantify, we get all of this information and then we make an absolutely unbelievably great choice based upon our measurements. And that's the same process that build my team is doing, uh, in a metaphorical way. We're measuring all this information about the, the candidates. We're not asking them to tell us what they're good at. And, you know, I wouldn't dream of doing, uh, you know, prescribing, um, any type of eyewear or vision correction for a patient based upon what they tell me. And yet in the hiring process, that's a more or less essentially what we're doing. So Bill, my team puts all that to bed. We make a lot of mistakes when we try to hire somebody. And certainly when there's that emotional factor, it has, you brought up an interesting point that sometimes it's, it's on the interviewer. Like you mentioned, somebody who's got a lot of empathy, wants to help somebody else out might be, yeah. if I, if I heard you might be more apt to, to be believable uh, or to believe the other person maybe more than than they should. I read somewhere that 
traditional interviewing, like we're talking about, without some kind of a system in place, without some kind of assessment, you only have about a 10% chance of getting the person you think you're getting. That's not really good. And it really speaks to that, again, that first date um, yeah. example of, of that person showing up. What are some of the more common mistakes that you see interviewers make? And I'll give you one that I, I read this and it didn't, it's nothing I thought of until I read it, but a lot of times people that interview someone else for a job will open up with telling them exactly what type of person they're looking for. So basically you're just giving that other person the answers to the test. You, you mentioned before, like they're going to tell you whatever they think you want to hear because they're trying to yeah. get the job. And when you give them exactly what the job entails, then you're just giving them to the answers to the test and that's going to influence their, that's going to influence their response. Any other mistakes that you see in the process that your your company helps um, navigate? Well, we we take it uh, to a completely different level where we remove the emotion. As I said, with the, it's a one way video interview. There is we have software that they're sent questions to answer, and we record their. I'm sorry, they record their answers via cell phone, and it's all submitted automatically, so that. We, our team members that build my team that review these, they can't be manipulated. Um, so it's so important to me that that process is maintained because otherwise we immediately see the results start to plummet. Now, 10%, boy, that's abysmal. That That's a pessimist that's writing that statistic. <laughs> you know, I might spot them uh, double that at 20%. It doesn't matter. You flip it around. What... Uh, in an average day for a practice owner, what are you going to do that you're going to fail 80% of the time at? I mean, I don't want that job. You don't want that job. Nobody does, right? You'd be, you'd be miserable all day long. And yet within uh, hiring, it's probably not far off of that. So back to the interview. One thing I've, I've seen, I've been guilty of this myself, talk, 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 talk. Very little listen. You're there to listen. You're not there to to sell the practice. Uh, you know, the A players, um, they want you to find out more about them. Um, you know, they, they're wanting you to, uh, to grill them, right? The B players and the C players, they hope to God you don't grill them. There's nothing there. You know, they can't back it up with anything, right? There's no backstop. There's no catcher. There's no anything. You're going to, there's nothing there. So, I would suggest that uh, that would be number one. Ask a question, sit back and wait. You're not only looking for the answer, you're looking for how they answer the question. So I'll give you an example. With the Build My Team uh, one-way video interviews, the, the questions are all identical for each candidate. And it's not so much the answer that we're looking for. Of course, that's a component of it. I don't know what the weighting is that the team uses, but maybe it's 30% answer, 70% how they answer, right? Um, are they dressed for an interview? Are they in tank top, uh, tank top and shorts? You know, um, we had, uh, we have people who look spectacular when they're dressed for an interview. They're very respectful. They're, they're, uh, have terrific manners, you know, all those things. We have other people who will make it through the process and this is rare, but there's no way on God's green earth you're going to hire somebody like that because of, of uh, how they're presenting themselves. So in an actual interview, I'd say, listen first. Um, if you're not impressed with how that person's answering your questions, then just keep in mind 
that when they're answering patient questions, those patients aren't going to be impressed either. Um, and that, that again, becomes very difficult uh, to try and navigate that. As you said, 10% of people you, you're going to be happy with. Boy, all I can take from that type of statistic is it's time to change the game mm -hmm. yeah. because you are set up to lose. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask about the 10,000-pound gorilla in the corner compensation. How do you handle that discussion around compensation? So let's assume they go through the process and it's somebody who, through everything you've done through the assessment, seems like it would be a good fit for the practice. Now the conversation around money comes up and that's a common issue that a lot of offices and really businesses will that are struggling with is dealing with a work, um, operating in a work environment where people seem to want more money but trying to contain that within payroll as well. So what is your typical approach to having that discussion around pay? So at the bottom of our insight report, which is the output or that build my team gives a client, one of the questions that we ask um, is what type of hourly rate are they looking for? And we get the candidates to specify that. That way we're not having a super awkward conversation later on. I'll give you an example. This is so incredibly powerful that it pretty much pulls the rug out from underneath that question that you're asking. Um, somebody comes in, they want uh, 13 bucks an hour. Okay, well, that's pretty darn low in most of the country. Um, let's say the position's willing to offer 17 an hour, they are asking for 13. Um, what's our advice from a build my team standpoint? Like what are they, what's, our team going to suggest to the doctor, we're going to suggest you pay 14. Well, why would you want to do that? Well, probably the candidate is lowballing. So make sure they get the job, pay 14. You are giving me an extra dollar an hour more, which for people at that dollar amount is a tremendous amount of money. Uh, um, and you're also going to build immediate goodwill with that candidate that you're not messing around. You want great people. You're willing to pay for great people. And by the way, you expect great performance. So when this all adds up, you're going to get much, much, much more out of that candidate than 14 bucks an hour. I mean, good grief. You're going to get all kinds of, of productivity out of them. Now, the other side of that is somebody applies, you're willing to pay 17. Somebody wants 28 bucks an hour. God bless you. Moving along. They're just moved out of our process. There's enough fish in the sea that they they can move on out of that process. We're not going to suggest you hire a mercenary. <laughs> you know, that somebody who wants 27 today, 27.50 tomorrow, and is off for, for a quarter and uh, a dollar, uh, sorry, a quarter an hour more. No. So that's one of the ways that we get around that right up front. And that is completely automated as part of the process. The productivity part, I think, is something we don't look at enough. And I've seen some owners think really small when it comes to pay. They'll be like, well, this job pays 15 an hour, but he or she wants 16. And it comes up a lot with opticians because opticians can really yeah. drive revenue a lot. Yeah. But, and, yeah. I, and I've seen that small disparity. And yeah, there is a point where sometimes you just have to wish someone well. It's so far off the, right. you know, they're just not within, um, their request is not within what you're able to do. But I, I've also seen some doctors just go back and forth over a dollar, $2 an hour on somebody that could potentially add a lot of revenue. So I think it's important to keep the eye on. And that's really how your pro process is designed, right? To get better, yep. more productive, higher performing employees that should by nature drive up the revenue, which allow you to pay maybe above market than your competition. And it, it works. 
Uh, it works wonderfully well, primarily for two reasons. One, we're not bringing in people with experience. So you can take somebody out of some hor horrible job that is a terrific fit for being an optician. You can teach them how to be an optician through the courses. I mean, I think the American Academy of Opticianry is a thousand bucks for the course, right around a thousand dollars. And you say, well, that's a lot of money. It is. If you're used to spending it on people who don't show up for work, who cause all kinds of problems and leave you after a month, I would agree. It's wholeheartedly ridiculous to spend on that. However, you take a superstar, a player who wants to be an optician, you give them all of the opportunity in the world and you see them just munch through this course as fast as possible. They just consume it. Next thing you know, in three months, you've got somebody um, who's a pretty decent optician. And by the way, is also doing dispensing and taking the, you know, the, the easy parts of the job uh, within two to three weeks. So I would argue that um, if you're talking about the, the dollar an hour or more, perhaps on the owner side of things, your time would be better spent working on um, helping them create the value to get you five to $10 an hour more, but you're only going to pay them one to two. That's where the time's better spent. Mike, let's go there. In fact, let's let's close out there because what, most of what we talked about has been assessing people and getting the right fits through the hiring process. So now you've hired an individual. Yeah. Now what? Right. So now we talk about retaining them. We talk about getting more productivity out of them. There's a saying that goes, people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. And there's, you know, yeah. that's not absolute, but there's probably some truth to that. What have you done as a leader to promote better retention and a better culture? within your team so people actually want to stay and not only want to stay but you've you've designed that culture that people show up and produce at a higher level so a little bit of an odd answer to that i got out of the way that's my my uh biggest part of that answer um we have a practice manager who's terrific we have a uh our operations manager who uh, both runs build my team and also oversees the practice. He's fantastic. His name's Frank. Um, and my role, as soon as I realized what they were bringing to the table is to get out of the way. They're much better at the role than I am. They're much better at it than I'll ever be. And why would I want to do their job and pay them at the same time? I mean, I don't, that's the whole point. So I've switched my role from trying to do all of that stuff, which I generally wasn't very good at at all, to um, creating an exact game plan that I want, you know, the vision for the practice, the growth of the practice that I want them to execute. And then my role becomes finding out what uh, tools they need and resources they need to execute that successfully. Um, so to sum it up, I stopped doing and instead started planning uh, a lot um, and making sure they had what they need to do what they need to do uh, successfully and get out of the way. And our, uh, you know, if anybody's wondering whether or not this works, our net income went up a tremendous amount um, by just doing all of the, you know, bringing on the A players, uh, getting out of their way and letting them do their jobs. You'd be surprised at what's, what uh, a practice is capable of in terms of uh, debt income uh, when that happens. Yeah, and it all comes full circle, I think, to doing the right things on the hiring and getting the right team. It affords you the luxury of being able to get out of the way because now you've built right. a better culture. There's an environment of trust and, and you can step away. You can't do that when you've got an incompetent staff 
right? Nope. You can't. No, and that and and of course, you know, why would I delegate when it's faster to do something myself? That's what I hear a lot of. Um, well, you can't grow a practice when you feel that way. Mm-hmm. You just can't. You know, you uh I would respectfully say it's time to learn how to delegate and it's time to bring on uh team members that you can delegate to. Because if you've got folks that you're working with that are mo- more uh, boat anchor than engine, um, then it's a really tough situation to do that. And I would respectfully say that those folks need to be replaced. And that's what we ended up doing at our practice. We, we kept two people. Um, when Build My Team took over the hiring, we actually only kept two people out of everybody. And the rest of the team was, was methodically replaced over 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it was, uh, it was nerve wracking. It was all of those things. And now, oh, good Lord, we never look back. No interest in ever looking back. I hear that all the time when somebody is, uh, has an issue with what we might call a toxic employee and they keep them yeah. way too long. And it's almost a hundred times out of a hundred, what you're going to hear when they finally let that person go, they'll say, I should have done that a long time ago. Well, there's almost yeah, no regret. I've got, I've got two really uh, aggressive things to say on that whole concept. One, um, you can't live in fear. Okay. These toxic people, they do all kinds of things to make the doc and the owner live in fear. I've been through that a whole bunch of times. What would happen if we lose x you know this person um well what needs to be done before you end up like you're not going to walk in on monday and just uh pull the trigger on that you need to get your ducks in a row first of all give build my team a call tell us you have uh toxic kathy or toxic Susie or toxic uh whomever and they need to go and we put together a plan uh to find you the right people get that process rolling get some documentation of their positions and all that stuff but that the fear is one thing. The second thing is docs generally, there's a term I, I coined called talent certainty. How would you run your practice if you were 100% certain that you could get the talent that you need for your practice within a reasonable period of time? Not live in fear, not be terrified, not think, oh my God, what are we going to do without this person? Instead thinking, and this is what I got. Uh, this is a mindset shift, but I actually got to this point as a practice owner. When somebody leaves, it is our opportunity as a practice to upgrade. So we take a look at the person that left. Think of, we write down all the things that are wonderful about them, all the things that we uh, weren't happy with. And the next person, we always try and get a little bit more or a lot more wonderful and a whole lot less problems. And it works. Um, it gets to the point where you can confidently say, yes, we can bring somebody in for this position within a period of time. We're not going to be held hostage anymore. We're not going to have to uh, have those um, absolute terrifying nights when you don't know who's going to run your front desk or do your billing. It doesn't work like that anymore. And it takes a while to get there, but the speed at which you get there has 100% to do with the mindset of the doctor. I'm sorry, of the owner of the practice. It's it's all mindset based. And once you flip that switch in your head, it's like all of this, a, a massive amount of stress just, just vanishes. Well, Mike, this was fascinating. I'm, I'm really glad we had a chance to talk about this. Um, congrats on the service. And um, it, it's definitely in need. <laughs> Where would people find out more about Build My Team? 
very easy. Buildmyteam.com. Uh, you pick up the phone. You can uh, call us, uh, schedule a consultation. That's best. That way uh, our team members are there waiting for you when you're, you're ready. And um, it's a free consultation, of course. Uh, just tell us all about your practice. Tell us what your actual... Like, as honestly as humanly possible, what your actual problems are in the practice. And it's that that open communication that allows our team members to truly solve your problems with the hiring uh, components of the practice. Perfect. And that's what okay. they're good at. They do this all day long. Well, thanks again, Mike. Um, yeah, like I said, a, a lot of demand for that. Get your people right. This is a, you know, it's a service-based yeah. industry. We can't do it by ourselves. We need the people on our team. And it, I think you use the word, um, you know, it, it makes things more streamlined. It makes it simpler. Yeah. You just enjoy going to work more when you've got a good team around you that can make your life, make your life simpler. So um, kudos yep. on on setting up a company that helps people do that. So thanks, um, Steve. thanks again, Mike. And it was great seeing you. Uh, close out here. So thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like more information about IDOC and how we work with ODs to grow their practice, you can find out more at IDOC.net. That's I-D-O-C.net. So thanks to Mike and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Steve.